Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. Jesus once told Satan that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. If you desire, you can also follow us on YouTube and Twitter. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here is Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. Today we're going to continue our look into the Syriac Infancy Gospel, making this the 13th and likely the second to the last segment in this entire series. And this series, interesting of note, began much by accident, (laughs) because we actually believe that it was much shorter than it truly was. But I'm pleased to announce that it looks as though we'll be finishing up the Syriac Infancy Gospel by next Wednesday. So please, once again, join me, 7 p.m. on Wednesday, for the 14th and final part, the conclusion of our look into Infancy 1 as a book. And also, before we take a look at some of the miracles that are attributed to Yahshua, I want to invite the listener once again to join me and Dr. Wickstrom tonight, Sunday evening, 8 p.m., for an all-new episode of Yahweh's Truth. That show is available on TalkShoe.com, call letter 58. So without further ado, let's continue reading the Syriac Infancy Gospel in chapter 18. Beginning in verse 1, we read, On another day, Joseph sent his son James to gather wood, and the Lord Jesus went with him. Now, right there in the first verse, you notice there's nothing out of the norm here, nothing out of the ordinary. Because it truly was James who was the brother of Yahshua. And in fact, in this very series, in the middle of the Syriac Infancy Gospel, you know that one time it was James and Josie's who were out playing with Yahshua. And when they returned home, Judas Iscariot was sitting with the Virgin Mary. And so here we learn on another day, Not long after Yahshua was playing king with fellow Israelites, Joseph sent James to gather wood, and Yahweh Yahshua went with him. So coming out the gate, let's establish the fact that James is the brother of Christ. We read in his general epistle, chapter 1, verse 1, James, the servant of God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greeting. What is that? That's his salutation. The brother of Yahshua. And his only writing to be found within the authorized Bible is his general epistle. And I want you to understand that his general epistle is only general to those men and women who happen to be Israelites, correct? He says he wrote this 
quote, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, end quote. That would be those descendants of Israel the man and those that were in dysphoria at the time that he wrote that. So you already know that James was a quote-unquote half-brother of Yahshua. And so what we're reading here is not far removed from reality. Joseph sent his son James to go gather wood, and Jesus, his brother, went with him. Verse 2. And when they came to the place where the wood was, and James began to gather it, behold, a venomous viper bit him, so that he began to cry and make a noise. Now notice, this is the third similarity to the book of Acts. You know, chapter 28, where it is Paul who is building a fire and has a serpent latch on to his hand. But this happens to James. Well, they're gathering wood. This is normal. This is something that we do here in Brooks, even now in mid-April, because it's a bit nippy. And anybody who has gone into the wilderness already knows that you run a risk of becoming snake bit when you gather wood. What happens? Verse 3 provides the answer. Yahweh Yahshua, seeing him in this condition, came to him and blowed upon the place where the viper had bit him, and it was instantly well. Instantly well. Why? Because Yahshua merely blew on the sore where the snake bit James. Now, why is this different? Well, if you were with me, you'll know that it was Simon the Canaanite who was going for a partridge's egg. And when he reached into that nest, he also was snake bit. But Yahshua didn't set Simon the Canaanite right. Yahshua, in the last segment, made the snake go and suck the venom back out, meaning that he made the snake set back that which he had made crooked. But notice here, Yahshua doesn't play. This is his blood. This is his kin. Therefore, when James is bitten, unlike Simon the Canaanite, Yahshua grabs his hand, blows on the place where the viper had bit James, and he was instantly well. Now, does that sound far removed? Absolutely not, when we consider that many of the faithful Israelite men, women, and children, while Yahshua walked, most assuredly, within the city of Jerusalem, believed that if they could merely touch the hem of his garment, they could be made whole. And so, if a man or a woman could touch the garment of Yahshua and be made whole instantly, then it's not far removed to believe that Yahshua could blow where a snake bit his brother, is it? Now, I want you to pay close attention, because this being the 13th segment in Infancy 1 <laughs> deals with, ironically... Some of the hardest teachings to be found within Infancy 1 as a book. Not the metal, which was based on the oral tradition of the Israelites. But this part, the onentations and the additions to Infancy 2. But I'm going to teach this so you understand that this more is an allegory for Yahshua's second advent. We often, as Christians, focus on the grace and the mercy of God, and there's really nothing wrong with that. But in focusing solely on the grace of Yahshua, we often forget that he possesses the ability to destroy, to give life, and to take life. And of course, he did not come to destroy during his first advent. He came to teach. He came to set straight 
and he came to make whole. But at Yahshua's second advent, you need to understand a very simple point, and we're going to deal with this in this very part, and that is this. Everyone who displeases Yahshua is killed. Everyone. And that's what you need to understand. If you displease Yahshua, do you really believe you're going to find yourself within the kingdom age? Many men and women do. I've heard this mentality before. They come in and they say, you know what? If I live a generally good life, God's not going to send me to hell, will he? But yet Yahshua says, no man come unto the Father except by me. You cannot deny Yahshua and expect to find a position for yourself within the coming kingdom. That is a fact, dear friends. So, in verse 4 of chapter 19, here in Infancy 1, we read, On a certain day, this is another day, this is another account. What we're dealing with in chapter 19 are several many accounts, several fragments that are pieced together. And this begins a new one. There is a brand new pill crow at the beginning of verse 4, and we're taught. On a certain day, Yahweh Yahshua was with some boys who were playing on the housetop, and one of the boys fell down and presently died. Now, I really like this story because this story actually does not tell you what you think it will. My point with this is that if you pay close attention, you should be able to see that this testifies of itself. And it proves its own legitimacy. Because if this narrative ended a different way, then you could come in and say, hey, this was plagiarized. This is a fiction. So what happens? Well, the beginning of this narrative says it was just a certain day. A day not unlike many others. And the Lord Jesus, or Yahweh Yahshua, was playing with some boys his age. But they were playing on the housetop, right? The very tip or the pinnacle of a roof. And one of the boys fell down and died. What does this remind you of? Well, turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 4. We read in verse 9, He, referencing Satan, he brought Yahshua to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, Cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Now I don't have time to go into the temptation of Yahshua here, but I want you to see the similarity. The similarity is that even the devil took Yahshua, to the very tip of a temple, the pinnacle referenced here. This was 700 feet above the Kedron Valley, or about as half as high up as the Empire State Building. That is, to put it in modern perspective. This is how high Satan took Yahshua to the roof of the temple. Or we could just say the roof of a housetop. Very similar. But here in Infancy 1, notice that Yahshua is just a youth, and he's playing with other boys. And, through an unfortunate turn of events, another boy falls off the roof. And when a boy falls off the roof, chances are pretty good he will die. The narrative says that. One of the boys fell down off the top of the roof that Yahshua was atop with him, right? And he presently died. He was dead for all intents and purposes, right? 
verse 5. Upon which the other boys, all running away, Yahweh Yahshua was left alone on the housetop. Is this far removed from scripture? No, because we're taught that when the shepherd is smitten, the sheep scatter. <laughs> and Yahshua, for lack of a better term, is left here holding the back. There's a dead child on the ground below, and up on top of the roof is Jesus the Christ. Obviously, he will be blamed for this boy's murder, right? All the other boys ran away. It doesn't say where they went. And in fact, this is not Hanai the Jew or his children. They just run off, the Israelites. They don't run to the authorities and say, Yahshua murdered this child. But what happens? Verse 6. And the boys' relations came to him and said to the Lord Jesus, or Yahweh Yahshua, Thou didst throw our son down from the housetop. You did, Yahshua. You threw my son down, and now he is dead. And understand, because Yahshua was an adolescence, the law pertaining to eye for eye and tooth for tooth had not been disannulled yet by Yahshua. Had not been. Therefore, this is a proper mindset for the fellow Israelites. You kill my son, you shudder to think. You better hope that the world or Zog gets a hold of you before I do. And so... The boy's relations, that means his mother, his father, his brothers, and his aunts and uncles by extension, came to Yahshua and said, You threw him down. You murdered our son. What happens? Next verse. But he, denying it, they cried out, Our son is dead, and this is he who killed him. Notice Yahshua says he is innocent, that he did not throw this other child down. And about this point in the narrative, you'll start thinking, well, he must have slipped, right? He must have fell off accidentally, because after all, children on top of a roof of a house, that's potentially detrimental, is it not? If I ever see my children on a roof, I go instantly and tell them to get down. But that's not what happened here. Jesus was playing on top of a roof, another boy fell down, and all the Israelites that were playing with him ran off. And the children's parents came back, and they said, Did you kill our son? Yahshua says, No. Then they become all the more adamant about it. They say, You did throw our son down from the housetop, right? Verse 7 says, He denied it, they cried out. Our son is dead, and this is he who killed him. What do you see here but the proverbial scapegoat? Something that our law makes a provision for. Unlike the sheep. And that, my friend, is why the segment before this, part 12, dealt with the topic of kids, baby goats, versus a shepherd who leads them. A goat has a position within the flock of God. But perhaps that's a study for another day. He denied it. They cried out. And they wanted eye for eye. They wanted justification for their dead child. Were they wrong in this belief? No. They were not wrong wanting to see justice. But they were wrong and falsely accusing Yahshua. That is a violation of the Ten Commandments. That is bearing false witness. And that would be why Yahshua says in verse 8, The Lord Jesus replied to them, Do not charge me with a crime of which you are not able to convict me. But let us go ask the boy himself who will bring the truth to light. What will that formerly dead boy do? Bring the truth to light. Truth. What is your definition of truth? If it is the word of God, then you understand that Yahweh God is in control of all things. In fact, you understand 
He is the Alpha and the Omega. And momentarily, towards the second part of this sermon, we're going to get into that, where Yahshua is being taught the Hebrew alphabet from Aleph to Beth, etc. Why is that important? Because he was the Alpha and the Omega, the living word incarnated, friend. So Yahshua says, do not charge me with a crime of which you can't convict, because then you'll be guilty of bearing false witness. Right about now, you already understand Yahshua didn't do it, right? There was no guile and or deceit within his mouth. If Yahshua is telling the truth, we must bank our salvation upon that. But in this particular instance, the parents want justice. They want to see Jesus dead. So he says, let's go ask the boy himself. <laughs> right? Impossible with man, but not impossible with Yahweh God. So, next verse. Then Yahweh Yahshua, going down, stood over the head of the dead boy and said with a loud voice, Zainunis, Zainunis, who threw thee down from the housetop? Question. Zainunis, he says. That's the usage of the word. And if you have free time, study out the Gospel of Simon of Serene. Not the Gospel of Simon the Canaanite, but the Gospel of Simon Serene. He was the man who helped Yahshua bear his cross unto death. I'm sure you're familiar with that, but this same account is reiterated in the gospel according to Simon of Cyrene. And that is where this name, Zainunis, comes from. So Yahshua calls out twice and says, Who threw ye down from the housetop? Now I want you to pay close attention to the boy's answer. Now you would think a narrative like this that is trying to falsely attribute acts to Yahshua that he did not do, would have a happy ending, right? He would say, no, I slipped. I fell off of one of those shingles. But that's not what he says. Once Yahshua asks him, who threw thee down? This is his response in verse 10. Then the dead boy answered, thou did not throw me down, but such a one did. <laughs> did you hear it? You, Yahshua, you did not throw me down, but another did. Another individual did. If you understand how we try to prove the validity of books like this, you will know that if this particular individual came in and said, Oh no, nobody threw me down. Rather, I fell of my own accord. You would have more of a position to say that this is an erroneous, fictional account. But rather, the account comes in and says the boy was pushed, but he wasn't pushed by Yahshua. He was murdered, but he was not murdered by Jesus the Christ. The dead boy answered and said, You, Yahshua, did not throw me down, but such a one did. And when the Lord Jesus bade those who stood by to take notice of his words, all who were present praised God on account of that miracle. Now, that also is something you see running as a common vein throughout all of infancy one. Every time a horrible thing happens and Jesus Christ does a miracle, because of the miracle, men and women go out and they rejoice and they praise God. I want you to understand that because we live in an era now where people deny miracles. And even though miracles still happen on an individual basis to God's sheep, People want to come in and deny it and say, oh no, miracles don't happen. Do you think it might have something to do with the fact that Yahshua isn't holding our hands anymore? That he said he sent all the prophets 
that there shall be no sign given a wicked and perverse generation. My point with this is as Yahshua walked with us, the miracles were clear as a bell. They were made manifest. So much so that men and women would praise God every time they saw something like this. An Israelite child who had his life taken from him, who was struck down in the prime of his life as a child. And Jesus Christ says, your time is not yet. Not yet. Once again, understand this proves that Christ was God and had the power to restore life and to take life. And the irony of this account that we read here in chapter 19 is that if we were like Job, we would not question God. We would not also falsely blame God when something happens. Now in this account, the child was pushed. The parents weren't far removed from the truth by saying he was pushed off. But it wasn't Yahshua. What can we learn from this? Do not blame God for things that happen in life. I mean, don't blame God. You can understand that God is in control of all things, that God can also set you straight. But the way of the world is to come in and say, oh, my son died this day. What type of God would do that? Must be God's fault, right? That is what we just covered. The parents blamed Yahshua, and Yahshua said, don't charge me with a crime, because you can't convict me. I'm not guilty. Yahshua was not guilty. Now, much later, you need to understand that when we cried out, give us Barabbas, and crucify him, crucify him, we charged Yahshua through Pilate of a crime he did not commit. So there's much more to this allegory than meets the eye. This, for lack of a better term, would be a foreshadowing of Yahshua's crucifixion, right? Where he is falsely charged, an innocent man. And that, my friend, is a very important fact. You must understand that Yahshua is innocent. He was. So, we begin a new manuscript once again, here in chapter 19, but this time verse 12. We read, on a certain time, the Lady St. Mary had commanded Yahweh Yahshua to fetch her some water out of the well. And when he had gone to fetch the water, the pitcher, when it was brought up full, break. Now this is a very simple narrative. What we're dealing with, once again, is a mother sending her son out. At the beginning, a father, Joseph, sent his son out to gather wood. I want you to also notice that the children were an integral part of the family to the Israelites. It wasn't the parents who did everything for the children while the children played video games. Rather, it was James, the brother of Christ, who gathered wood. And in this instance, it was the Lady St. Mary, once again, the mother of God, who sent Yahshua out to do what? To gather water. And when he had gone to fetch the water, the pitcher, or we could just say the bucket broke as he drew it up. Now this would be common because after all, most wells were public at the time of Yahshua and everybody would use those pitchers and or buckets. Most Israelites were not fortunate enough to have a bucket of their own. So what does Yahshua do? Verse 14 confirms that Jesus spreading his mantle gathered up the water again and brought it in to his mother who being astonished at this wonderful thing, laid up this and all the other things which she had seen in her memory. 
Why the memory? Well, that's very simple to answer, actually. Because almost every time an angel appeared to the Virgin Miriam, or any time Yahshua did a miracle and Mary was there to see it, she wouldn't go right out and tell everybody. This aligns with the four Gospels. Mary would rather lay it up within her heart what manner of man this was, that her son was. So remember that. This is confirmation of the fact. What is a mantle? A mantle is a cape or a cloak. It is a long piece of fabric that is usually fastened around the neck of the Israelite. And they take this mantle with them so that when they are out in the wilderness, they have a spare blanket, for lack of a better term. So Yahshua takes his cape, scoops up water, and carries the water in, in a cloth pitcher. Now, this may seem far-fetched to you, because we know that cloth does not retain water. Or does it? In the case of Yahshua, again, all things are possible. And ironically, in chapter 19, whether we're dealing with a dead child, justifying Yahshua and proving his innocence, or a snake biting James, the brother of Christ, and the young Jesus blowing upon his sore and setting him back, this part is the easiest for me to believe that Yahshua could just scoop up water and hold it within his mantle or a piece of cloth. Because this, my friend, is possible, at least for a few minutes anyway. You and I can do this. So, Mary, the mother of God, was astonished at this wonderful or wunderbar thing. And she laid all these things up and other things. All the things that Yahshua did, she did not run out. And what is that but maternal instinct? Do you understand that analogy? That's why Mary didn't go out and say, hey, my son's the Christ child. Because then, like now, the world would have come in and killed him. Right? We know that from Herod. Herod was trying to kill the Messiah long before this point. In fact, this was after their plight into Egypt. And now they're back in the land of Jerusalem. And Herod's son is reigning in his stead. Therefore, there is a time of peace here. But ultimately, remember that Yahshua, about 25 years from this age, will be put to death. That is why. It is maternal instinct to protect your child. And a mother knows if she draws attention to the fact that her son is different and blessed, the world will want to come in and kill him and scrutinize him and tear him apart, <laughs> donate him to science, etc. That is why. Once again, another confirmation. If this book was false, Mary would go out and say, I am the mother of the Christ child. All come and bow to him and do him homage. But that's not what she did. She kept everything in her memory and contemplated on what manner of son she had. Verse 16. Again, on another day, Yahweh Yahshua was with some boys by a river, and they drew water out of the river by little channels and made little fish pools. Now, perhaps you've done this before because most people do this at the beach. But they get near a body of water and they go down to the shore. And if you dig a hole, well, there's water within the hole. That's what Yahshua is doing here. He's drawing little channels and he made fish pools, little pools full of fish. But Yahweh Yahshua had made 12 sparrows and placed them about his pool on each side, three on a side. What is that but north, 
west, east, and south. All four corners of the fish pool. Just like it is Yahweh God who appoints angels at all four corners of the earth, right? So Yahshua makes 12 clay galami, clay golem, for lack of a better term, clay pigeons, sparrows. Once again, Yahshua is proving he is the creator, because it was Yahweh God who formed man, or Ahadom, of the dust of the earth, right? So what is mud but a polite way of saying Ahadama, the red soil of which Adam man is created of? So Yahshua here is playing with other boys. And many times when we play in the mud, we like to make little figures. He made figures of birds, 12 sparrows. Interesting usage of the word 12 because that denotes governmental perfection. There are 12 tribes amongst the people of Israel, and Yahshua chose 12 disciples, right? There also are 12 tribes sealed at the beginning of the book of Revelation. Very important. This is why Yahshua, or the Lord Jesus, made 12 sparrows. He chose 12. 12 was an important number. But what happens? Well, you probably know this account because I preached this about four and a half, five years ago. And if you heard that, you know there's always a Jew in the midst. And I want you to contrast what happens at the end of chapter 19 to the beginning of chapter 19. Because we know already Jesus was playing with other boys, right? And one of the boys fell, but the Israelites ran off. They didn't run to the authorities. Well, verse 18 says, It was the Sabbath day, and the son of Hanai, a Jew, came by, and saw them making these things, and said, Do ye thus make figures of clay on the Sabbath? Question. And he ran to them and broke down their fish pools. <laughs> this is a hall monitor extraordinaire, dear friends. Oh yeah, indeed. The son of Hanai, the Jew believed that he also was an authority, right? And he came in and he knocked down the sandcastles that Yahshua was making, the fish pools. Could it be because he was the son of a Jew? And notice also that Jew here is differentiated out from other boys. We know already that the other boys were Israelites because Yahshua was the king of Israel. And right before this segment, we already proved that because he was playing a game of hide and seek. And the women testified of Yahshua and said, truly, you are the good shepherd, right? Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive quarterly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.net where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts or you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, make checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry. Your donations help us to reach the lost sheep of the House of Israel wherever they may be found. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all and is in all that have been renewed in his Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow him to lead your life and help to build his church so that when he returns, you will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply his words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. 
So we know there is a difference between a Judean and an Israelite. And the most common difference between them, naturally, is the fact that they were split into two nations around the time that Solomon died, during the dysphoria. This is Israelite history. And for all intents and purposes, whether you believe this is an Edomite, which it most likely is, considering he runs back to his father to snitch on Yahshua, or just an old-school Judean who believed he was better than the other ten tribes, it does not matter. The difference is, is this, that a friend covers up the sins of his brother. That's what Yahshua did for you and I. A Jew or an Edomite will go and expose the sins of his brethren and or kinsfolk. Big difference. And the reason they do that is because they believe by tearing another down, it makes them feel better and look better in the eyes of themselves and others who may listen to them. Do you understand this point? There are men who come in and claim the BCI and all they do is break down the teachings of CI preachers. Why? Because they believe instantly you're going to come in and say, wow, if you're on the milk of the word and don't know that they're Jews, you're going to come in and say, he must know more than Swift. He must know more than Copyright. He must be a real scholar. Therefore, they don't have to come in and prove anybody wrong, do they? And they never do. They never proved Yahshua wrong in this account in chapter 19. They came in and falsely labeled him and said he was wrong and claimed the victory like the Jew does. So be leery of those men and women. There's nothing wrong with discussing theology and seeing if it aligns with what is codified. But there's definitely something wrong in coming in and trying to run to the authorities and sue your brother. I swear, there are so many people out there that it should be obvious to you who serves the Jew and who serves Yahweh? This son of Hanai, the Jew, did not serve Yahweh. And not only that, he ran to them and broke down their fish pools. Doesn't this remind you of the Pharisees that would plague Yahshua? Yahshua would walk with his twelve disciples, for example, and he would pick corn because they were hungry. And there was always a Pharisee who would come in and not have issue with the fact, hey, you stole a piece of corn out of an Israelite's field. They would come in and say, you violate the Mosaic law. Notice here that this Jew most likely had an issue with the fact that he wasn't playing with the Israelites. Therefore, he goes down and tries to destroy, number one. And then secondly, he's going to go away like a little snitch and cry. In fact, verse 19 says, When the Lord Jesus clapped his hands over the sparrows which he had made, all twelve of them, they fled away chirping. And at length, the son of Hanai, coming to the fish pool of Jesus to destroy it, the water vanished away. And Yahweh Yahshua said to him, In like manner as this water has vanished, so shall thy life vanish. And presently the boy died. <laughs> Now, I really like that part, too. In fact, I like the part that concludes chapter 19. And we're going to deal with that momentarily. But before we move on to it, no, it is differentiated out, right? Israelite from Jew. And this Jew came to what? To destroy. We know from Yahshua's parable of the Good Shepherd that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And that would be why Yahshua says, In like manner as this water has vanished, so shall thy life vanish. 
and presently, meaning immediately, right away that boy died. Now the liberal will come in like they do with Sodom and Gomorrah and say, oh, poor homosexuals, poor evil Jew. Jesus killed them, but that was for the glory of God. And also notice that at the beginning of this chapter, it was James who was sent out to gather sticks, right? James, the brother of Christ, who would be familiar with this account, dealing with the fish pools, right? Because obviously James would have been there. So turn with me to the fourth chapter, again, of the general epistle of James. And you will see, James taught identical to what Yahshua did. In James chapter 4, we read in verse 14, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? Because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, James asks you, what is your life? And then he explains what your life is. For it is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. A vapor, for lack of a better term, a fish pool. And if a fish pool full of water will dry out and return to its original state, you should understand also that your life is a vapor and it appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. What this means, of course, is that as you grow older, time is supposed to get more valuable. Therefore, there's no fool like an old fool because an old fool should know better than to spend his life worrying about the things of the world, politics and television and useless things. Rather, he knows his life is a vapor. And he doesn't have very much time on God's green earth. And that's the question, is it not? What do you use the little bit of time that you are given? What do you do with it? If your life is attributed to a vapor, he says, in like manner as this water has vanished, what is that but a vapor? So shall thy life vanish. And presently the boy died. So my point with this is the liberal could come in and say, oh, poor little Hanai. Jesus killed him without cause. But Jesus kills no man without cause. Jesus only destroys the wicked. And the wicked, for the most part, as Yahshua lived, destroyed themselves. So, moving against God and trying to curse God, <laughs> the wages of sin is death. But, if you don't believe that account, then let's conclude chapter 19. There's three more verses and a whole new account here. We learn, another time, when Yahweh Yahshua was coming home in the evening with Joseph, he met a boy who ran so hard against him that he threw him down. Another time, a different account, right? Because they're all bunched together here and they make and comprise this chapter. This is a different miracle, a different time than the house, the snake bite, and when Mary sent him out for water. And he was coming back with Joseph. Remember that Yahshua went with Joseph, and we already proved that, because Joseph was not a good carpenter. Therefore, everywhere Joseph went, he brought Yahshua with him, and Yahshua would be an apprentice. And I prove from the codified word of God that not only was Joseph considered a carpenter, but so also was Jesus. So, they were returning from work. Another time when Yahweh Yahshua was coming home in the evening after work, with Joseph, he bumped into another boy. And the other boy ran so hard against him that he threw him down. What happens? To whom Yahweh Yahshua said, 
as thou hast thrown me down, so shalt thou fall, nor ever rise. And that moment, the boy fell down and died. At that moment, the moment Yahshua pronounced death upon that child, he died. And for the entire book of Infancy 1, this is the one statement that most people have the biggest problem with between verses 22 and 24 here in chapter 19 because it does not sound like the Yahshua they follow. In fact, to a majority of the unbelieving world, just the fact that a child running up to Jesus, bumping into him accidentally and causing him to fall down and Jesus rising up and saying, today you die because of your act, seems so harsh. But yet I want to remind you that this is what happens and this is the fate of everybody who does not acknowledge Yahshua. And more importantly, anybody who wants to quote-unquote throw him down. That's the usage here. Yahshua curses them and says, To whom, the Lord Jesus said, To whom, because of, this is a curse. As thou hast thrown me down, because thou hast thrown me down, you shall fall and never rise. What can we learn from this? We can learn that anybody who tries to overturn the kingdom of God, who tries to throw Yahshua down and or erase him from society, will meet the same end, dear friend. At that moment, you will die. What moment? The second advent and the return of Yahshua. You can spend your life trying to throw down God and to try to depower God or unthrone him. But it is impossible. And the end result of resisting Yahshua is death. How can I say that? The wages of sin is death. Throwing down Yahshua was sinful, was it not? Perhaps that's a study for another day, because an average man could come in and say, oh, it just sounds like Jesus Christ is on a power trip here. It's not what's being taught. What's being taught is the difference. Two manner of men, both being killed. And what did they do? One came and tried to get Yahshua in trouble by bearing false witness. Remember, Yahshua said that there is no sin in doing good on the Sabbath day. There is no sin. But yet here came the son of Hanai the Jew, right? And he runs and he tells and he tries to get him in trouble. Not only that, Hanai tried to destroy. Therefore, Yahshua cursed him and said, Your life shall be like this vapor. And presently, immediately, the boy died. Now, to contrast that, here's another child. While Yahshua is about his father's business, right? Quote, unquote, stepfather. When he returns home, he gets bumped into. Meaning that we could attribute this to Yahshua's parable of the unjust steward. Men and women trying to take the kingdom by force. So now, as we move into the 20th chapter, we're going to deal with Yahshua being educated. And this part is actually going to go pretty quick because there's only 16 verses. And they all deal with the same exact thing. Yahshua being taught the alphabet. The Hebrew alphabet, ironically. And he's being taught the alphabet by different people. Why is this important? Well, stay with me and I'll prove to you why. Verse 1 of chapter 20 in infancy 1. We read. There was also at Jerusalem one named Zacchaeus who was a schoolmaster. Very simple. 
was a schoolmaster. His job was to teach people. I want you also to understand that the children of Yeshua's time and the children of the Old Testament were taught from the Bible. Unlike today, the Bible has everything you need to educate yourself. The Bible can teach you to read and to write without a schoolmaster. Do you not believe that? If you took a child, put him on a desert island, and he grew up alone, and you gave him this King James version of the Bible, he could teach himself to read, he could teach himself to write, he could teach himself math, he could teach himself economics, he could teach himself anything. That is why this is important. Very important. Yeshua is being taught the alphabet, right? The Hebrew alphabet. Something that we find in the acrostics of the Psalms. And the acrostics that are found within the Psalms are designed to teach Hebrews how to read and write. How to teach them poetry. So, don't underestimate that. In Jerusalem, where Yahshua is at this time, there was a schoolmaster, a school teacher. And these schoolmasters were considered to be high priests within the temple because the children were taught by the priests. Now we live in a society where your average person, if they're lucky, go to private school. But for the most part, they go to public school. And they're not taught God. In fact, if you even pray in school, you're thrown out. And teachers who wear a cross into that schoolyard can be sent home and fired. So that's the first point you should understand about chapter 20. Is that everybody is commanded, if they have children, to train their children in the right way. The parent's responsibility to educate their child. And if it's the parent's responsibility to educate their child, and they want to relegate that duty to somebody else, at least make sure that it's a high priest. Right? Quote, unquote. Make sure it's a Christian. Why? You get what you pay for. You send your kid to public school, they're going to come back with a public education and be profitable to who? The public. You want a dog servant, send them to public school. Otherwise, teach them yourself or send them to private school if it's possible. So in Jerusalem, there was one named Zacchaeus, verse 2. And he said to Joseph, the stepfather of Christ, Joseph, why dost thou not send Jesus to me that he may learn his letters? His letters, right? Why don't you send Christ to me? And I'll teach him the Hebrew alphabet. And so it was. Zacchaeus, who comes to Joseph and says, why don't you send Yahshua to school? What does he do? Verse 3 says, Joseph agreed and told St. Mary. That's his wife. So Joseph and Mary agreed. Verse 4 says, they brought him to that master, who? Zacchaeus, who, as soon as he saw him, wrote out an alphabet for him. And he bade him say, Aleph. Aleph. That's A in Hebrew. And when he had said Aleph, the master bade him pronounce Beth. That's B in Hebrew. And Yahweh Yahshua said to him, Tell me first the meaning of the letter Aleph, and I will pronounce Beth. Very important statement. Tell me first the meaning of the letter Aleph, and I will pronounce Beth. What does that mean? Well, Yahshua reiterates this twice. But you don't need me to point out to you that Yahshua claimed to be the Alpha and the Omega. And granted, that is Greek. And what we're dealing with here is Hebrew, but Yeshua is just a youth. And so in Greek we learn this, do we not? Indeed we do. In the first chapter of Revelation, verse 8, Yeshua, Jesus the Christ says, 
I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. Alpha is a polite way of saying Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Here it's Greek. Yeshua is the living word. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. What else? Which is, which was, and which is to come. Which is, which was, and which is to come. Yeshua is, right? Therefore, when he was a child, that's Yahshua. He is. Yahshua, here, where he kills the son of Hanai the Jew, is the same Yahshua which was, right? And finally, at the end of chapter 19, this is Yahshua which is to come. Which one? The ones that run hard against Yahshua. And Yahshua says, you will die. So my point with this is, here they are sending Yahshua to a schoolmaster. And the schoolmaster wants to teach him the Hebrew alphabet. And he says, well, say A. And Yahshua says A. And then he says, say B. And Yahshua says, no, first tell me the meaning of the letter A or Aleph. And then I'll pronounce the word Beth for you. Verse 7. And when the master threatened to whip him, Yahweh Yahshua explained to him the meaning of the letters in Beth. Stopping right there. Now, he didn't only explain to him the letters. I already confirmed to you that Yeshua is the Alpha, the Omega. He's every letter that you read. Now, perhaps that's a sermon that requires deeper study. But Yeshua not only explained to him the meaning of the letters A and B, but verse 8 says, Also, which were the straight figures of the letters, which were oblique, and what letters had double figures? which had points and which had none, why one letter went before another, and many other things he began to tell him, and explain of which the master himself had never heard or never read in any book. Now, that is my point. If you send your kids to public school, they're not going to teach them that. They may be able to teach them A, B, C, or 1, 2, 3. But one thing, most assuredly, they will not be able to educate your children into is the straight letters of the figures, which are oblique. Why they are what they are, what letters have double figures, where they come from, what letter goes before the other, what dotting of a T or jotting of an I goes where. Yeshua taught the schoolmaster that. And notice also that the master himself had never heard or read in any book. This is a master, a schoolmaster, supposed to be one of the most educated men in all of Jerusalem, right? Zacchaeus? And he's dealing with the Christ child. Very simple thing. Say A, now say B. And Yahshua says, I already said A. You explain B. And then when he goes to beat Yahshua, Yahshua explains to him everything from Alpha to Omega. Because that's what he was. That's what he was. The biggest irony to me as a pastor is seeing people down here come in and attack Yahshua based on the words of Paul. When all you know of Yahshua, you know from the word of God. Do you understand that? No man or demon came to you in the still of the night and told you something that wasn't within the word of God. This is our schoolmaster that brings us to Christ, the codified, authorized word. And nothing is more entertaining to me than a man getting his education from the schoolmaster, not Zacchaeus, the Bible, the word, and then using the schoolmaster to attack Christ. How ironic and double-minded is that? 
If all we know of Christ we learn from the Scripture, then you can't come in and attack the Scripture because you're attacking Christ, the Alpha, the Omega. So, he never read any of this in any book. And rest assured, friends, David teaches no different. If you stay within the law and you stay pronomian and desire to know the face of your God, you will be smarter than anybody that you come across in life who tries to educate you. Don't believe me? We'll prove that momentarily. Verse 9 continues the narrative here in verse 20 of Infancy 1. Yahweh Yahshua further said to the Master, Take notice how I say to thee. Then he began clearly and distinctively to say Aleph, Beth, Gamel, Daleth, and so on to the end of the alphabet. Do you see it? He was trying to teach Yahshua the alphabet when Yahshua was the alphabet. Alpha to Omega, beginning to end. And therefore, Yahshua pronounces the Hebrew alphabet, speaking Aramaic. Speaking Aramaic. There's only one other time in all of Scripture that I know of where Yahshua quoted Hebrew while he himself spoke Aramaic. Do you know what that is? That is the quote, Eli, Eli, lama shabbatene, taken directly from the 22nd Psalm, which was written in Hebrew. When Yeshua hung on the cross and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was so you'd understand. This man who spoke Aramaic is quoting Hebrew. He was the Redeemer and the King of Israel. So this is miraculous, okay? The Hebrew alphabet, Yeshua knew it. Not Aramaic, which is a guttural mix between Greek and Hebrew. So, what does Zacchaeus say? Verse 10 says, At this the master was so surprised that he said, I believe this boy was born before Noah. So I ask you, do you believe that Yeshua was born before Noah? Many people do not. But Yeshua himself made that claim, and you would better believe it. Turn with me to the Gospel according to St. John. And in St. John chapter 8, everybody knows this, right? Because John chapter 8, verse 44, Yeshua tells the Jews they are of their father, the devil. But very few people pay attention to what Yeshua says. In verse 52, here in St. John chapter 8, Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know you have a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are all dead? Who makest thou thyself? Pay close attention. Christ says in verse 54, Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me, of whom ye say, He is your God. But ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I'd be a liar just like you. But I know him, and I keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and he was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Art thou not yet fifty years old and thou hast seen Abraham? Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am, Yahshua says. So, Zacchaeus, the schoolmaster, rightly discerned that Jesus the Christ predated his years, that he was wiser than all of his years. Why would that be? Well, it's the same thing for you and I. 
And as you get older, you'll realize this. If you stay within the law, you really realize how stupid a lot of these idiots are who make the same mistakes over and over and over, expecting different results. He says, I believe this boy was born before Noah, right? John chapter 8 confirms Yeshua says he was there before even Abraham. And continuing on. And turning to Joseph, he said, Thou hast brought a boy to me to be taught who is more learned than any master. That's what Zacchaeus said to Joseph, Yahshua's stepfather. You brought me a child who's smarter than I am, who's smarter than anybody who could possibly even set forth to educate him. So turn with me now to the 119th Psalm. Perhaps you're familiar with this psalm, because Psalm 119 is one of the longest chapters in all of Scripture. And it deals solely with the perfection of the Word of God, who Yahshua is. Right? So in Psalm 119, verse 99, that's the 119th Psalm, the 99th verse, we read from David. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. Did you hear what David said? I have more understanding, I'm smarter, than anybody who sets forth to teach me. Why? Because your testimonies, the word of God, your law, and the prophets are my meditation. Now, of course, this stands the reason for you and I, but Yahshua was the living word. And being the living word, this is why he said, you brought me a child, <laughs> and I'm trying to teach him, and he knows more than any master. Point in case, Psalm 119.99 proves straightforwardly that if you stay within God's word, You'll be smarter than any of these secular fools who come in and try to tell you, we all bleed red, we're all equal, etc. David taught it. I'm smarter than any man who comes to teach me, and so will you. Why? Because they're going to come in and tell you, well, open your mind. You owe it to yourself. Where the Bible says, close your mind. Narrow is the way. Few there be that find it. Very simple. He said also unto St. Mary, this is your son, this your son, has no need of any learning. That was said of Yahshua while he was maybe 10 years old. He doesn't require any learning, not from me. Put this in modern perspective. You could have the state intervene within your life and come and say, hey, you can't homeschool your children. you got to send them to public school. And the reality is, is the second you send them to public school, they're going to be dumbed down anyway. They're going to be dumbed down because they're going to be removed from God or try to, quote-unquote, Throw him down. Throw him down, right? Like we read about in chapter 19, verse 22 today. If you throw God down, the end result is death. So, don't neglect that. Now, the final segment of chapter 20, and the final part for this Sunday morning. Continuing on in verse 13. They brought him, then, to a more learned master, who, when he saw him, said, Say Aleph. And when he had said Aleph, the master bade him to pronounce Beth. To which Yahweh Yahshua replied, Tell me first the meaning of the letter Aleph, and I will pronounce Beth. But this master, when he lifted up his hand to whip him, his hand presently withered, and he died. Then said Joseph to St. Mary, Henceforth, we will not allow him to go out of the house, for every one who displeases him is killed. Everyone who displeases Yahshua is killed. 
Does that sound unfair? No, it does not. Does that sound unjust? No, it does not. That is a promise from Genesis to Revelation, friends. If you deny me, I will deny you before the Father. If you deny me, you'll be denied. Joseph says to Mary, we can't even let Jesus the Christ leave our home because it seems that everyone who displeases him is killed. Who displeases him? Notice there were three people in this Sunday morning study that displeased Yahshua. One was the son of Hanai the Jew. He was cast down and presently the boy died in chapter 19 verse 21. The second was the one who tried to throw down Yahshua, right? Quote, unquote. He's found in that same chapter, verse 24. And finally, the third person that Yahshua murdered because he displeased him would be this master, the second master. Not Zacchaeus, but the second master. And probably because he rose a hand up to beat Yahshua. And Yahshua knew all things. So... I hope today's study has actually edified you. Once again, I would like to invite you to swing by tonight, 8 p.m., for an all-new episode of Yahweh's Truth Intelligence Update. If you've not heard before, I will be continuing that show, should the worst ever happen. I've made a promise to Pastor James P. Wickstrom that at bare minimum, even if my ministry goes to pot, I'll continue to address his flock. So if you're able to, and your Sunday evening is free. Swing by tonight, 8 p.m., for an all-new episode. You can go to our forums for information pertaining to that particular show. Until next time, which will likely be the 14th and final segment in our look at the Syriac Infancy Gospel, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia, and the Covenant People's Church, wishing you and yours great studies. War for Christ. Amen. Covenant People's Ministry! Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We thank you for your prayers and offerings and pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to spread the word of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.